You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about the difference between anxious and eager and a meaty middle about why the phrase if not can be ambiguous. And now on to anxious or eager. To some, anxious has more of a negative connotation than eager. You're eager for your long-distance boyfriend's plane to arrive, unless you're going to break up with him. Then you're more likely to be anxious about his arrival because you're dreading a confrontation. Anxious is evolving, though. The distinction between anxious and eager was much stronger in the 17th century. Today, many people use the words interchangeably. Three major dictionaries imply that it's okay to use anxious to mean eager. From Dictionary.com saying it's fully standard, to the American Heritage Dictionary saying resistance is waning. Garner's Modern English Usage says using anxious to mean eager is ubiquitous. Here are some examples. You can say, I'm eager to see the dessert tray. Nobody would dispute that. The dessert tray is a good thing. Well, unless you're on a diet. Okay, people who can't have dessert may dispute that sentence. But in general, most people will be eager to see the dessert tray. An interesting quirk is that apparently this positive meaning of eager is specific to English, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. Eager has many obsolete meanings that are negative that came from French. But the more positive, full of keen desire or longing definition is an English development. And now for anxious. You can say, I'm anxious to see my ex-wife. Seeing an ex-spouse usually causes some anxiety, at least some negative feelings. So most people are likely to agree that anxious is the right word for that sentence. I'm anxious to see my ex-wife. And now we get to the more traditionally problematic use of anxious. I'm anxious to get our new puppy. That is acceptable, but sometimes disputed. Generally, getting a new puppy is a good thing, something you'd look forward to, something you'd be eager to have happen. Eager is a perfectly good word for that sentence. You could say, I'm eager to get our new puppy. But sometimes people use anxious in such sentences, and nearly all language authorities say that's okay too. The best memory trick to remember when to use anxious is to remember that it's related to the word anxiety. The quick and dirty tip is if you want to be safe and never be criticized, at least not about your use of the word anxious, use anxious only when there's a sense of anxiety, 
and reserve eager to describe your feelings about positive future events. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. And now let's see why the simple phrase, if not, can lead to horrible misunderstandings. One day, Squiggly and Aardvark were talking. And Aardvark told Squiggly, Squiggly, you're one of my best friends, if not my best friend. Naturally, Squiggly was touched. He said, oh, Aardvark, you're my best friend too. Now, though, imagine if the conversation had gone differently. Imagine if Aardvark had said, Squiggly, you're one of my best friends, if not my best friend. In that case, Squiggly would have said, Well, that's pretty passive-aggressive if you ask me. One of your best friends? Oh, of course, I remember. I'm your second best friend. And Aardvark would have said, What are you talking about? And Squiggly would have said, You think I didn't hear about episode 435 on modal auxiliary verbs? The one where it said, Squiggly is Aardvark's second best friend? Oh, I heard about that all right. And then Aardvark would have said, boy, aren't we salty? And Squiggly would have said, you know, that's an offensive thing to say to a snail. And Aardvark would have yelled, fine. And Squiggly would have yelled, fine. And they wouldn't have spoken to each other again until Aardvark's best friend, Fenster, got tired of Squiggly and Aardvark's drama and arranged a reconciliation that ended with the two of them hugging it out. Why would that imaginary conversation have gone so wrong when Aardvark said the exact same thing to Squiggly in each conversation? It's not so much what Aardvark said as how he said it. When Aardvark enthusiastically told Squiggly, you're one of my best friends, if not my best friend, his tone made it clear that what he meant was, you're one of my best friends, and maybe even my very best friend. But if he had used a doubtful tone of voice and said, you're one of my best friends, if not my best friend, his tone would have carried the message, you're one of my best friends, although not good enough to be my absolute best friend. The troublesome part in that sentence is the phrase, if not. Let's talk about the although not meaning first. How exactly does if not come to mean although not? Well, first of all, this doesn't just happen with if not. In the same way, just plain if can also have an although meaning. 
For example, if I were a geometry teacher, I might say, Finster's proof is correct if sloppy. This isn't the ordinary meaning of if, because I'm not trying to say that if Fenster's proof is sloppy, it must be correct. What I mean is, Fenster's proof is correct even if it's sloppy. At this point, the connection to although is clearer. Even if has mostly the same meaning as even though, which has the same meaning as though or although. Now let's return to if not. If I said Fenster's proof is correct, if not particularly elegant, it would mean more or less the same thing as Fenster's proof is correct even if it's not particularly elegant, or Fenster's proof is correct although it's not particularly elegant. I'll call this the concessive if, since concession is the word grammarians use to talk about the kind of relationship expressed by words like although and even though. Now what about the meaning of if not that's more like maybe even? The Cambridge grammar of the English language says the function of if not in this situation is to cancel an implicature. Okay, so what's an implicature? Well, we covered them more in depth in episode 334, which I'll link to in the transcript. But for now, it's a message that you send that goes beyond what you say. For example, if I told you that Squiggly ate some of Aardvark's chocolate, you'd probably figure that Squiggly didn't eat all of the chocolate. Why? Because if he had, I would have made the more informative statement of saying that Squiggly ate all of Aardvark's chocolate. But what if I want to say that Squiggly definitely ate some of Aardvark's chocolate, and he might have eaten it at all, but I just don't know? One way would be to say what I just did say. Squiggly definitely ate some of Aardvark's chocolate, and he might have eaten it all, but I just don't know. Another way to cancel the implicature would be to say, Squiggly ate at least some of Aardvark's chocolate, which leaves open the possibility that he ate it all. Yet another way would be to say, Squiggly ate some, and maybe even all, of Aardvark's chocolate. But with all those ways of canceling the implicature that Squiggly ate all the chocolate, how does if not get into the mix? We still haven't explained why you can say, Squiggly ate some, if not all, the chocolate, and mean that he might have eaten it all. In fact, it is possible to imagine a plausible progression from concessive if-not to the if-not that means maybe even, but we'll need a different example to do it. Suppose you're telling about a really bad meal you had at some restaurant. You might want to say, it was the worst meal I've ever had. Now imagine that a somewhat pedantic friend says, really, the worst? You've never in your entire life had anything worse than that? Then you might hedge a bit, saying that although it might not have been the absolute worst you've ever had, it was certainly in the bottom ten. In other words, you might say, even if it wasn't the worst meal I've ever had, it was one of the worst. Or, to shorten it even more, it was one of the worst meals I've ever had, if not the worst. This is the concessive if-not. You're making a concession to a hypothetical listener who challenges your claim. 
you're backing off from the claim that the meal is the absolute worst just to placate this imaginary challenger. However, people will probably be able to tell from your energy level that you'd actually like to make the stronger claim. In that way, the same concessive if-not that backs you down from a stronger claim can also suggest that the stronger claim is the one you actually want to make. It was one of the worst meals I've ever had, if not the worst. At this point, you may be trying to summarize a rule of thumb for knowing when if-not has which meaning. If the speaker is making a strong claim that could be made even stronger, you get the implicature-canceling, maybe-even meaning. If they're making a fairly bland claim, you get the concessive, although-not meaning. Unfortunately, language isn't so nice and neat. Once an English speaker has learned through a few examples that if-not can mean maybe-even, they probably won't make a subtle distinction about strength of claims. They'll just update their mental lexicon to say that if-not has an idiomatic meaning of maybe-even and use it and interpret it accordingly. So, for example, saying that Squiggly ate some of Aardvark's chocolate is not a particularly strong claim. But if I say Squiggly ate some, if not all, of Aardvark's chocolate, a significant percentage of people who hear the sentence will assume that I mean maybe-even all of Aardvark's chocolate. In fact, in the blog for the online version of the magazine The Economist, Robert Lane Green conducted an informal survey for how people interpret the sentence, I'm a good tennis player, if not a great one. And of his 61 respondents, 44 thought it was more likely to mean, I'm a good tennis player, and maybe even a great one, while 17 thought it was more likely to mean, I'm a good tennis player, although not a great one. Context can help you disambiguate if not, and intonation can make a difference as it did in Squiggly and Aardvark's conversation, but you can't always rely on them. For example, in a radio interview a few weeks ago, a speaker talked about someone tolerating if not embracing anti-Semitism, and even knowing the context and hearing the sentence spoken didn't make it clear which meaning the speaker intended. In light of all that possible confusion, my recommendation is simply to avoid using if-not for either of these idiomatic meanings. If what you mean is although-not, then say and write although-not. If what you mean is maybe-even, then say or write maybe-even. At least, that's my advice if clarity is your goal. If not, never mind. That segment was written by Neil Whitman, an independent researcher and writer on language and grammar. He blogs at literalminded.wordpress.com and tweets at literalminded. Thank you to all of you who told me where you listened this week and wrote reviews. I have to travel unexpectedly this week, so I wasn't able to pull together all your stories, but I saw and appreciate each one, and I hope to be able to give you personal thank yous again next week. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find a transcript of this podcast and all my other articles at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals 
to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and bestselling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart? every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.